0: This week, God willing, we're going to be celebrating Yates Kislev, the 19th of the Jewish month of Kislev, known as the Rosh Hashanah of Hasidus. Rosh Hashanah, of course, being the deep purpose, the day of deep purpose of things, the day on which creation is justified. Yates Kislev, Rosh Hashanah of Hasidus is the day on which the purpose for chassidus's creation came into fruition why is it this day why is it the 19th of kislev on this day the Alter Rebbe, the author of the tanya the work that serves as the written torah of chassidus the fundamental the bible of chassidus and all that implies today is the day that he was released from prison what's the connection between his release from prison and the culmination, or the essence, of Hasidus, which really, we know the teachings of Hasidus, of Jewish mysticism, really began with the Balshemtiv, Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shemtev, who uh, preceded the Altar-Rebbe by many years, and was two generations uh, removed from him. His teacher's teacher really introduced the ideas of Hasidus. So why is the 19th of Kislev called the Rosh Hashanah of Hasidus? And the answer is that the quality of the Torah of Hasidus, the understanding of Hasidus that began to arrive after the Alter Rebbe left prison, was incomparable to the Hasidus that existed before. Before the Alter Rebbe was released from prison, there was Hasidus. But you had to be a person of a deeply refined soul and a profound able and extremely well-educated intellect to be able to appreciate chassidists. Hasidic teachings before then were terse, esoteric, their meanings were hidden. Much was implied by very few words the Alter Rebbe, who founded a whole way of Hasidus, a whole philosophy of approaching Hasidus that was radically different from both his predecessors and his peers, he called Chabad. Hasidus Chabad, Chabad being an acronym of Chachma Bina, and Das, typically translated as wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. The Alter Rebbe took the mysticism of Hasidus and he brought it into a very rigorous and thorough philosophical system so that Hasidus could not just be known by the faith of the soul, but could also be understood by the mind of the soul. And the Alter Rebbe would argue that this is not just one interpretation of Hasidus. This is central to the entire purpose of Hasidus, and thereby to the entire purpose of Judaism. This idea of understanding faith, of bringing faith into intellect. Why is bringing faith into intellect so important? You know, sometimes you have to go back to basics, the most fundamental things. Sometimes in the most basic teachings, the first things you learn, you find the essence of things. If you ask a chassid or a chassidic rebbe, why the universe was created. He'll give you a particular answer, and the answer is, God desired to have a dwelling place in the lower worlds. Now this answer is an old answer. It goes back to the Midrash, to the uh, to the early rabbis of the Mishnaic period. But Hasidus came along, and as in many other areas, focused on this answer. It raised this answer above all the other answers in the rabbinic literature, of which there are many. Some opinions say the world was created because God wanted to be known. Others say the world was created to actualize a potential. That before, he only had the potential to create. And after the world was created, that potential was actualized. From a slightly different angle, we say that the reason God created the universe is because of Teva HaToyv LeHetiv. It is the nature of the good to do good. But Hasidus raises up the reason, or rather the non-reason, of God's desire to have a dwelling place in the lower world. And I call it a non reason because desire, nisava, implies a non rational approach. God desires to have this dwelling place, so to speak, super rationally, for no reason. If you ask why he would desire such an illogical thing, the answer is only God knows. What is so special? about this reason of Dirobat that he desired to have a dwelling place in the lower worlds. What changes in Judaism by saying that God created something separate from him so that he could totally dwell and be revealed in that separateness, in that separation? In truth, there are many ramifications of this idea. But one of them, which you see recurring again and again in Hasidus, is that what matters most to God is connection rather than quality per se. God wants connection, not inherent quality per se. A different way of saying this, Is that what God wants from our world is the communication of truth rather than the mere possession of truth. After all, pure possession of truth describes God before the creation of the universe. Does God himself not always possess the truth in its most perfect form? Is that not his very identity? Why would God ever move? Why would he ever say, let there be light, if he was satisfied with the mere possession of truth, or that that truth should exist? On the other hand, if anything were ever to have a pure lack of truth, that would also not satisfy God's desire. To purely lack truth, for there to be no room for truth in a particular existence, undermines the reason for its being, according to Hasidus, according to Torah. If the truth cannot be spoken in this place, if God cannot dwell there, then, looking retroactively, there was no reason for this thing to ever have been created in the first place, and thus it must not exist. Therefore, because he desires communication rather than the mere possession of truth, everything that is created has some truth to it. Everything that exists in our universe has some godliness to it. And the deepest purpose of each individual creation is its connection with that godly truth. But if that is the true purpose of each creation, if it's true that each thing at its deepest point is able to communicate that divine truth, that means that the ultimate purpose of each thing is not its inherent finite purpose. In other words, a blade of grass, or an orange, or a mountain, does not exist just to be what it is. Does not exist to merely be a a blade of grass, or an orange, or a mountain. There's nothing wrong with being those things, of course. But in some sense, these things must be able to convey the godly truth because divine self-communication is the very purpose for which they were created. In other words, inherent to the divine purpose of Derebetach to the idea that God wants to reveal himself in a place that initially conceals him, that he wants to dwell within a separate place and be at home there, inherent to this idea is the idea of mysticism, the notion so core to Kabbalah and Hasidus that godliness can be experienced in every aspect of the creation. These two ideas go together. Because God only creates finite beings in order to dwell within them, the infinite truth of God is the deepest purpose of each qualitatively finite and defined being. So in between the perfect possession of truth, namely God, and the total lack of truth, namely utter and complete non-being, exists everything in our universe, in various states, at various levels of communication. this would appear to imply a universe that is a spectrum. In other words, if we want to actually come in and divide the universe categorically into a small number of categories, such as good and evil, it would appear by the mystical reckoning that we've made an error. A mystic sees shades of truth. He sees the potential for everything that exists to be good. He sees the godliness within everything. But Judaism, Jewish mysticism, is different than other forms of mysticism. Because we do make this bifurcation, we do declare that there is a certain duality to the world, that there are some things which are good and some things which are evil. There is a reason why a hamburger, prepared in the correct way, is kosher, but a cheeseburger is not. Even though these things exist on a certain spectrum, and they each must possess a godly truth within them to even exist, there is a line that can be drawn between them, a firm line that divides them into two totally separate categories. How is this possible? Because even though All things exist on a certain spectrum, a certain amount, and a certain way in which they uh, possess a godly truth. There are still two general categories that an existence in our universe expresses or instantiates in the way that divine truth dwells within it. Each and every object contains a divine truth. Each and every being or creation contains that spark of the divine, that rumor, that whisper of the divine truth. But there are two general categories, two very different ways that that divine truth can exist within each thing. These two ways could be called vessel and exile. A vessel means that the object is transparent to the godliness that's within it. The object per se, the object in itself, is like a body to a soul, like a word to its meaning. It exists in order to convey the divine truth within it. ...in a lower place. It is an intelligible, it is a successful form of divine communication. Before God creates the hamburger, there is no such thing as godliness within a piece of meat... After God creates the hamburger, that godliness has been smuggled in, has been brought to a lower place, just as your body allows your soul to interact with the physical world. So does this physical creation allow that godliness to be and to exist even in a low place. The cheeseburger is categorically different. We are taught in the Torah that the cheeseburger is a state of exile. The cheeseburger is opaque to the godliness that's within it. It is a vessel that becomes separate from the light, that becomes separate from the divine life force that's within it. The body stands for a different message, a different team than the soul does. The infinite is disconnected from the finite. its purpose is unfulfilled there is no simple way to get at to reveal the divine purpose within these things and therefore they are forbidden also being the hebrew term for bound up the godly truth within them is tied down and cannot be easily freed this brings us back to the idea ...of faith being revealed within the intellect. Because the intellect, after all, is like a word, or like a body. An idea is as much of a creation as a hamburger or a cheeseburger is. And the Alter believed, and believes, through his living teachings and his living students... That godliness can be expressed in ideas, can be expressed within the finite, conscious, rational mind, just as they can be expressed in physical realities of the world. And all of the major intellectual errors can be avoided, all of the false forms of Judaism. All of the substitutes that people accept for Judaism, every single one of them can be avoided by remembering this idea of Dibitatartonm, this idea that the purpose of creation is the communication of the divine truth in and through the world. Because what is an atheist if not someone who denies that any connection with the transcendent is possible? An atheist says a word is just a word. These rumors of meaning, these rumors of the higher realities to which the words allude, these are all illusions, or at best emergent properties of the letters themselves. This whole idea of the infinite being communicable in the finite is impossible, because there is no infinite. On the other hand, you have the error of traditional religious philosophy, which goes exactly to the opposite extreme. Traditional religious philosophy says that communication is not what's important. Transcendence is what's important. There is a God, and that God remains totally separate from the creation. The truth exists, but it exists totally separate from the uh, finite and limited ideas of creation. It's an insult. It's an insult to God to say that he can be found within an orange or a mountain. It's a limitation of his true infinitude. God is not so close. God does not descend so low. Our religion and our God are so holy that he must not affect anything in the finite world. The finite world exists as some kind of lesson or some sort of side purpose from him, and the entire point is to return, to get away from the world, to return to the transcendent God as he is beyond all of this. Just as atheism makes for a very non-Jewish Judaism, so too does this transcendent philosophy, this philosophy that places God far from the world, which obviates the importance of all mitzvahs. The divine commandments become mere moral lessons, mere uh, ethical precepts. Could anything be so lowly? Is there any book less worth reading than a manual for our finite, qualified, and deeply, deeply troubled existences? Who would go looking for truth there? And then you have the middle ground, which is neither entirely transcendent, neither is it entirely a denial of the transcendent. You have two middle errors. The middling errors involve distraction by souls and distraction by bodies. If you believe that faith exists, but that faith can be expressed entirely on intellectual grounds, then essentially you become a humanist. You become someone who believes that truth is important even if it doesn't exist. That the infinite is vital even if it is just a shadow, even if it is just a blank space within the body of the finite. You become someone who lives a finite life yearning for transcendence that you don't even believe is truly there? Such a person can never break beyond the limits of rationality. Such a person will read poetry and look at art and yearn for something and refuse to believe that the thing is ever actually reachable, that the infinite can ever cross the gap down to the finite. if the person believes that the finite can be expressed fully in the language of the infinite, that person is what we call an idolater. That person believes that even though the truth exists, it isn't important. That even though there is a God beyond the finite realities, he has abdicated or he has lent his powers to finite and limited forms, and those forms take over. These middle positions each believe in the infinite and the finite, but they don't believe that they start as truly separate. They believe that in the final reckoning, we will see that one of them reduces to the other. God, however, when he creates the universe, has a very simple and straightforward intention There is something that is infinite and not finite. There is something that is finite and not infinite. And he gives us a plan, he gives us a means by which these two things which are not the same, these two things which are opposite, which are inimical to each other, which are diametrically opposed, can actually be made one and can be seen to be deeply and profoundly unified with each other. If we believe that there is no infinite, we become atheists. If we believe that the infinite can be expressed in terms of the finite, we become humanists. If we believe that the finite can be expressed in terms of the infinite, we become idolaters. And if we believe that there is only the infinite and no finite, we become believers in pure transcendence. We want to abandon the world and leave it behind. The only position which says that faith and intellect are opposites, and yet there is a means by which they can be reconciled. The only one who says that the infinite and the finite are opposites, and yet the entire purpose of all of creation is to unite them, is to make that connection, is the chassid. That is what we celebrate on Kislev. We celebrate the idea that the infinite and the finite do not have to compromise to enter into a relationship and to become one. The infinite remains infinite with all of its qualities and advantages. The finite remains finite with all of its qualities and advantages. And yet the two things are actually utterly one and can become absolutely united with each other, both in the world and within our own being, as our faith and our intellect becoming one. A good yontif.